You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line this week is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, now you had a hard night of karaoke last night. Can we? How, how are the old pipes doing? Can we get a quick vocal check? Uh, test, test, one, two, one, two. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good, a little rusty, a little, a little scratchy, but the Dominaria crash course waits for no one. You know, I gotta, gotta ra- hop right on. How are you doing? Doing well. Ready to go. All right, so we have our Lords of Limited patented Dominaria crash course episode here for you, we, we are, where we are going to dive deep into some statistics for the set, give you some thoughts on our uh, biggest differences between me and Ben grading the cards, and then rank our top commons and uncommons. But before we get into any of that, we got to shout out some new patrons. That's right, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash lordsoflimited, where you as a listener have the opportunity to give back to the show if you want some sweet perks, if you just want to... Say, hey, I really appreciate all the work you guys are doing. Want to throw some bucks your way. We really appreciate the love. Uh, Things we try and give back to you guys. First of all, base level, the Lords of Limited Discord chat. This is the place to be if you want to be surrounded by other draft addicts like yourself. You want to get thoughts on your drafts, on some in-game decisions. Uh, We had some really sweet discussions on the Dominaria spoilers as they were coming out each and every day leading up to the full spoiler dropping. That's just for the base level. Get access to our show notes for episodes like The Crash course the show notes are going to be a really great tool for you going into your pre-release weekend uh, you get a little behind the scenes look for the higher tiers um, and one of the things we do for everybody is we shout them out on the first week that they join so we want to welcome emil david gene drew and andreas thank you all so much for your support this week we really really appreciate it Yep, cannot say thank you enough. I am really looking forward to crushing Dominaria with everybody that's in in the Discord. Yeah. This is the first time we've had like a large number of people, I think, since the set started. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to have a lot of good limited players to pull opinions from and to help us figure out the format. It's going to be great. Especially since the last set that came out was Rivals, and that was about, what, three years ago? Yeah. That's what it feels like. (laughs) And I know we don't do trophy leaderboard updates on these episodes, but because I had such an atrocious showing last (laughs) week, I just need to say that I'm above 67% in Modern Cube. Because you've been on a frickin' heater. You're insane. Yeah. But I was, I had an embarrassing showing last week and I just needed to redeem myself for the public record. We broke the format wide open. The, the trick to modern cube is play cards that are normally bad in cube and you will win a lot. <laughs> I took tireless tracker over primeval Titan and Ben was like, oh yeah, that's right. Yep. 100%. <laughs> Not even close. It makes me feel so bad, but also so good. Anyway, like I said, we were doing this Crash Course episode, so if you've listened to these before, you'll know what the deal is. If you haven't, we are not doing a mainstream sort of uh, card-by-card evaluation. We are going to do something a little bit different here. So we're hoping that this is going to be a companion piece to uh, some other limited set review, like Limited Resources or Luis's set review on CFB. There are tons of those resources out there for you, and we hope you are going to dive into those as well as this. Um, But we are going to be talking about grades for cards, and we're going to use the limited resources grading scale so ben why don't you talk us through how that's going to go yeah uh, the a's are bombs game winners good in many situations especially when you're behind and some of the best cards in the set they're bomb rares and hyper efficient removal spells uh, some examples of this from the last set tetsamok primal death profane procession hadana's climb and ravenous chupacabra 
Bees are going to be strong cards that pull you into a color, uh, make you want to play that color, reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. You'll hear us say that a lot when we talk about cards being the difference between B minuses and C pluses. These are going to be cards that make you want to play a color. So Reckless Rage from the last set, Forerunner of the Legion, Golden Demise, Crested Herd Caller. Seas are your solid playables, the meat and potatoes of any limited deck, very interchangeable, average creatures, and normal removal spells. Some examples of these, Suncrested Pterodon, Spirewinder, Dusk Legion Zealot, and Jungleborn Pioneer. Ds. On this show, we talk about Ds as being sometimes playable, below average cards, 22nd, 23rd type cards, Divine Verdict, River Darter, Voracious Vampire, Sun Collared Raptor from the last set. Fs are your unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck, or weird rares. These are Sphinx's Decree, Induced Amnesia, Brass's Bounty, and Storm the Vault. Uh, we also have three uh, subset grades that we'll be giving uh, to some cards, and the first of those is going to be sideboard cards. So these are cards that don't make your main deck, but when you board them in from the side, they can be quite good. These are often going to be like your most powerful cards out of the sideboard. Things like Cleansing Ray, Negate, Dark Inquiry, Naturalize. Uh, all of those cards were, were strong out of the board in Rivals. Build around cards. These are cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be anywhere from good to great. A uh, really good example of this from Rivals of Ixalan is Path of Metal, the red-white enchantment that dealt one damage to everything and then flipped if you attacked with like two creatures that had like first strike, vigilance, something, 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 something into this land that pretty much won you the game. But it was difficult to flip. And we introduced this a couple times ago, and I'm pretty happy with this as a grade. And this is going to be uh, something that we think of as synergy cards. So cards that are not quite like strong enough to maybe build around, but they only really go in a certain kind of deck. So they're only going to be synergizing in a, in a kind of deck. So we may give grades to uh, aggressive cards, may give those synergy grades, because really they're only going to be good in a certain type of deck. If you think about Silvergill Adept from Rivals of Ixalan, right? You weren't just jamming that in any blue deck, but if you had a bunch of Murpho, it, had, it was quite strong and, and really synergized with your deck. And with that, we're going to take a look at, we've got some new and returning mechanics here in Dominaria, the first of which are sagas. Uh, sagas are a new type of enchantment, and every saga has three chapters with a corresponding effect represented by the uh, Roman numeral 1, 2, and 3 symbols. The specifics of how and when those effects happen all revolve around lore counters. So sagas enter the battlefield with a lore counter. So when you play it, it will trigger the thing that's on Roman numeral one. And then once a saga is on the battlefield, you add a lore counter to it after your draw step and the chapter ability matching that number of new lore counters triggers. So you play the saga, you get the effect that's on Roman numeral one. Then after your next turn, after the draw step, you get the ability that's on Roman numeral number two. And then the following turn, after your draw step, you get the ability that's on Roman numeral number three. And then after that last chapter ability has left the stack, you sacrifice the saga. So you play it, you get an effect, and then on the next two subsequent turns, you get an effect, and then you sacrifice it. So they all have three chapters, all of these sagas. Important to note that you can't respond to it like leveling up. Once you move into that first main phase, it gets the lore counter. That whatever the thing that it triggers will go on the stack, but it getting a lore counter does not go on the stack. That just happens. Moving on next, we've got another keyword here called historic. So historic is a new keyword that refers to a card that is an artifact that is legendary or a saga. So there are cards that care about historic cards being cast most of the time, or I think maybe maybe just exclusively all the time when you see that in the set, it's going to be whenever you cast a historic spell. So you'll get some sort of bonus from that card that cares about historic spells being cast. 
Kicker is a returning mechanic that's an optional additional cost tacked on to cards. So if you pay the extra kicker cost for a card, you're going to get additional bonuses that are listed on the card. Kicker costs can also include things other than extra mana payments. Most typically, they're going to be paying extra mana. Uh, but for example, you might see a kicker cost of being asked to sacrifice a creature to get some sort of a bonus effect. They make the cards dual dual modes, split modes. Uh, we've got a new type of sorcery in this format, and these are legendary sorceries. And these are sorceries that can only be cast if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. There's also a new hexproof variant. So they've now added hexproof from colors. So for example, if a creature has hexproof from black, it means that creatures can't be the target of black spells or abilities that your opponents control. So there's kind of a throwback to white knight and black knight in this set with hexproof from black and hexproof from white. Nice. All right. Enough of that. It's time for the stats, baby. Diving right in. So for our commons, we're going to take a look at their power and toughness. On average, the common creatures in the set have power 2.5 on average and toughness 2.48. So exactly in between uh, a bear and a hill giant. Mm. Median common power and toughness was 2-2. The mode was tied 1, 2, and 3 for the power at 15 each out of 103 creatures. Uh, And the toughness was 2. And the range from 1 to 7 and from 1 to 6. So I think the most important thing there is is the average being 2.5 and 2.48. Yeah. So that's like a little bigger than the past couple sets we've had. I think in Rivals and in uh, in Triple Ixalan, the creatures were slightly smaller than that. So that's, we got, got a little beef in Dominaria. How about those uncommons? So the uncommon power and toughness... They're going up. So the average power uh, for uncommon creatures in the set was 2.72, and the average toughness was 2.87, so pretty close to a hill giant there for each of those. The median power and toughness was 2 and 3. The mode power and toughness was also 2 and 3. And the range power is going to go from 0 to 9, and the range toughness is going to go from 1 to 8. Now, can you just have, do you have any thoughts right there about the average power and toughness for uncommons being higher than the average for the commons? Uh, I think that you would expect that normally, I think, to get a better rate on power and toughness. Expect them to be a little bigger. For me, I think that that means it feels like there's fewer utility creatures. Yeah, I could see that too. We're not getting a, a boost in sort of power level in terms of the text on the card, but we're just getting that boost in power level in terms of raw power and toughness. I think it's also interesting that the power and toughness is a lot closer to 2-3, also as opposed to 2-2. Two, two. I think mm. that might might mean that 2-2s two, are going to be a little less good than normal, or it might be hard to, like, you know, if you play your 2-drop two, 2-2 two, two, and your opponent plays a 2-3 on turn 3, it's going to be hard to attack through that. Like, you're going to have to have a plan for that. Yeah, we've got, like, there's 2-2s, two 2-1s, two and 1-3s, basically, all at the 2-drop slot. And I think 1-3s may end up being king of the 2-drops in this format because of how that, that power toughness works out. I agree with that as well. So there's 103 total creatures in the set at common and uncommon, which is all we're looking at because that's all that's super relevant for limited. So of those 103 creatures, 34 have power 2, 20 have power 1, 36 of the 103 creatures have toughness 2, 17 have toughness 1, and then if you combine those numbers, 53, so about half of the creatures have toughness 2 or less. So that's about what we're used to, is like about half the creatures being bears or smaller-ish. So that doesn't tell me a ton about the set, but I think that that interesting stat about the creatures, at least at Uncommon, being mostly 2-3s, and the mode of the commons power being 1, 2, and 3, that being tied, is also a really interesting stat out of that for me. Yeah. 
Moving on to the creature's converted mana cost stats. So we want to compare what your what rate we're getting in terms of power and toughness versus what the amount of mana we're spending on cards is, and that's also going to be important when we look at what the removal costs in the set. So the average CMC for creatures at common and uncommon in the set is 3.38. That's kind of high for a bear or for a for a, a, a near bear, I would say, if we're getting like a 2.5 slash 2.5. The median is 3, the mode is 2, and the CMC range goes from 1 to 8. So how does that going to stack up against the removal in the set? The removal, there's a lot of it, but it's concentrated in mostly red and black. So there's 19 removal spells in total. 11 of those 19 removal spells are in the Rakdos colors. Hmm. There's 12 removal spells at common, 7 at uncommon, and the average converted mana cost of all the removal is 3.21. So you're going to be getting a slight mana advantage on the removal compared to the average converted mana cost of creatures, which is 3.38. But that's not something we've seen in Ixalan or Rivals of Ixalan, right? No. I don't think we were ever getting a benefit. No. The last time we saw that, like in Anniversary 25, we were getting like almost a full mana cheaper on removal. But that's obviously different because it's a, a master set. But yeah, that we, we don't see that often in these uh, these regular limited sets. And if you want, un- some, a lot of that removal is conditional, though. If you want unconditional removal, that almost all costs four or five. Mm-hmm. But I do think the removal is, like, good, especially in red and black. Red and black have a lot of good removal. Blue's really missing some. Green has a fight spell. White has a clunky exile spell. But red and black have some darn good removal. Yeah, for sure. And you're going to, I mean, that's going to, You're most of the time, I think your opponent is going to be red or black, right? That, that's how, how it works, I think. I think so, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll say yes. All right, moving on to some of the keywords that are in the set and seeing how these themes are going to be showing up in Limited. I think there's a lot of hype around some some keywords or some creature types, and we want to maybe look at the numbers there and see if, if there is a deck that supports that or if that's going to be a really big role player in this format. So the first thing we want to look at is historic cards. So again, historic cards are artifacts, legendary, or saga cards. Um, so we're going to look at the existence of those at each rarity. So there is a total of 11 commons, and those are all artifacts. There's 38 uncommons. There's 40 rares, and there are 17 mythics. And I will put a caveat there, a couple of those as we get to the higher rarities. I would say maybe it's probably more likely a few numbers less, because I think when I went through and counted this, the artifacts and legendaries had some overlap. So some of the things that counted as legendary at rare were also, I counted them as artifacts in the artifact slot. But those are about the numbers we're looking at there. So a total of 106 cards about that can qualify as historic. So that's a pretty big chunk of the set. Yeah, how many total cards are there in the set? Do we know that? Yes, we do. 269, looks like. And so that's like, so if there are 269 cards in the set, then that's like about two-fifths of the cards-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 40%. That's a lot. That is a lot, yeah. So that's a lot of things that count as historic. What are the things that care about historic? So again, we talked about these as being cards that will grant bonuses when historic cards are cast. There are six cards at common, and they are only in the Esper Colors. And these are range from like pretty, they're, they're, they're not like huge boosts that you're getting. They're like little incidental effects. There are 10 cards at uncommon, again, only in Esper colors. There are five cards at rare, two white and three artifacts, and two cards at mythic that care about historic things being cast. So again, so this is concentrated in the Esper shard, but there's not a lot compared to the amount of things that can trigger this. And we're not also looking at like 
the quality of cards. So yes, there are 11 commons at artifacts, but a lot of these artifacts at common are kind of clunky wouldn't you say ben yeah, most most artifacts got a d from us so that was what i was going to ask you we yeah. were talking about this we weren't quite as good about not talking yeah <laughs> before the before the set review this time we texted a lot last night yeah. is there a historic deck in the format do you think i don't know i think it's probably only going to exist if you open up like one of these mythics or rares that like really cares about it that's going to lead you down the path of like wanting to trigger them for example there's a card called daring archaeologist which is three and a white for a three three when it etbs you can return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand and then it has whenever you cast a historic spell you put a plus one plus one counter on it i feel like if i open that that seems like a card maybe worth building around to try and do a an esper like a blue white or white black kind of historic deck um, at least that's my initial inclination and that card's rare, right? That card's rare, exactly. So uh, I don't know how often this deck is going to come together, but it feels like that's the kind of card that then leads me to to value some of the uncommon payoffs that exist, and then maybe leads me towards playing some of these cheaper artifacts that are not perhaps the best. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that deck just doesn't exist and it's not worth drafting. So to the point to the point where like this question came up, because I was looking through the common and uncommon historic cards. And after like grading every single card, I did not remember a single card that made me want to play historic. Like, for example, whereas we're going to also take a look at some sapperling payoffs and wizard payoffs in a second, mm -hmm. where I remembered those cards. And I remember thinking, I want to play a wizard's deck. I want to play a sapperling deck. A lot of the, the common and uncommon payoffs at historic are just incidental bonuses rather than like something you would build a deck around. So it might, might not be coming in together every draft, but if you get some of those rare or mythic payoffs, maybe historic is going to be a lot more important important then right so i, I did a, a set review of all the cards on uh travis's travis sours aka semulans stream on friday and we were talking about so there are some uh, some common cards like there's a creature in white that's a three mana three two when you cast a historic spell you tap target creature and opponent controls and there's you know there's another creature in, in white that that has a bonus like that there's a creature in black that's a four mana four two when you cast a historic spell you deal two damage to an opponent these cards have an awkward tension to them because you want to have a number of cards that care about historic, and then you also want a number of cards that are historic, and those don't overlap. And so not only do you have this tension in deck building in terms of balancing out those like cards that care about the type and cards that are that type, but then also in gameplay, you need to draw those cards in a ratio that is effective in terms of killing your opponent, right? By like utilizing those synergies and that's really tough i think i think that's going to be a really hard thing to do well and those cards you listed that get it's, it's weird to me that like from what i remember lots of the cards that care about a historic thing being cast like have somewhat aggressive triggers a lot of them mm -hmm. and lots of the historic cards themselves are like dirtle central yeah and or like our d's or are not like super high powered mm -hmm. yeah so i think it's gonna be tough there are also a handful of Artifact Matters cards in the set that can be lumped into this because Artifacts are themselves historic. There's one at Common in white. There's a couple at Uncommon. There's a blue creature that can sacrifice an Artifact to draw a card and a red creature that sacrifices an Artifact to shock something. Um, so I think those may also be like smaller incidental payoffs that can be lumped into uh, Historic Matters decks. But again, not sure if this is a thing or not. All right, awesome. Moving on to specifically legendary cards. At common, there are no legendary cards. Uh, and so these legendary car cards fall under like creatures, artifacts, planeswalkers, enchantments, sorceries. All of those things can be legendary in this set. 
At Uncommon, there are 22 legendary cards. 20 of those are creatures. There's two enchantments there, probably sagas. At Rare, there are 27 legendary cards. 16 of those are creatures, three artifacts, two enchantments, six sorceries. So again, most of the legendary cards are falling under the creature category. Mm -hmm. At Mythic, there are 13, and eight of those, about half, are creatures. And there's a total of... 62 legendary cards in the set so about like one fifth slightly more than one fifth of the set Mm -hmm. seems like and specifically why do you want these legendary cards well first of all they're historic so they matter for that but as far as specific cards that care about legendary status there's 12 cards total seven at non-rare or mythic that care about legendary status and two of those are auras that turn your creature into a legend so that's sort of irrelevant which leaves us with these five cards Uh, the first is ancient animus this is a green spell one and a green put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control if it's legendary so you only get that that counter if it's legendary and then it fights target creature and opponent controls so is a real boost there if you're able to fight with ancient animus and your creature is legendary Mm mm-hmm Arvad the Curse. This is the black, white, gold uncommon. It's a five mana, three, three that gives other legendary creatures plus two, plus two. I think it also has lifelink and first strike or something, maybe. Lifelink and death touch. Lifelink and death touch. Thank you. Banalish Honor Guard. This is a white common, one and a white for a two, two, and it gets plus one, plus zero for each other legendary creature you control. Not a huge payoff there. Like that's probably still going to trade down with most of your opponents, two twos. Mm-hmm. Blessing of Bells and Lock. Uh, this is a black combat trick. This is a single black for an instant that gives target creature plus two, plus one. And if that creature was legendary, it gets lifelink. That's a bonus I'm excited about, but I think that's just going to be incidental. I mean, if you have a high concentration of legendaries, you're probably playing Blessing of Bells and Lock, but it's not like you're drafting Blessing of Bells and Lock and then slamming all the legendary creatures you can. No. The other way around. Yeah. And then Cast Down is one and a black for an instant. It's a removal spell that destroys target non-legendary creature, so can't kill legendaries. That's not a lot. The the biggest boost there is Arvad the Curse. The like legendary creatures get plus two plus two, and the rest do not excite me. So I don't think like I think legendary exists in the format and may provide a kind of draft tension in terms of uh, legendary creatures at uncommon because as we all know, you can't have more than one creature that's legendary in play at the same time. Like you can't have two Arvads in play because he is legendary. But other than that, I don't think there's going to be a lot of like legendary matters stuff happening. I would agree with that. I think the <laughs> I think the legendary status is most likely going to come into play for me in terms of the number of times I legend rule myself. <laughs> we <laughs> we set the over under on this on my stream yesterday at two point five. Yeah. So yeah. think about we'll we'll have an announcement at the end of the format about how many times I legend ruled myself. Sounds good. So moving on to one of the other archetypes that we think is supported. There seems to be like a wizard matters theme here. So we want to take a look at the wizard cards in the set. Um, there are eight wizard cards uh, at common and these are concentrated in is it so there's three blue creatures and four red creatures and then the only non is it creature that exists there's one black wizard at common as well at uncommon there are four total two multicolored one blue one red two at rare there's one jeskai rare and one blue rare and then one blue mythic so i like to see these so there's only 15 total wizards in the set but i like to see that the concentration is at common that makes me excited for limited it makes me think that it's a there for the limited players um so more than half of them are at common and the wizard matters payoffs there's two at common and five at uncommon 
Um, so I think there is a real like wizard matters archetype here that has some pretty powerful payoffs, especially at the uncommon level. I think this is going to be going to be one of the decks identified early and right out the gate of uh, this set released. Yeah, one of the ones that really sticks out to me is Fire Fist Adept. This is four and a red for a 3-3 human wizard. And when it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to target creature and opponent controls where X is the number of wizards you control. So that already is a 3-3 deal of damage when it ETBs. And if you've got another wizard, it's dealing two. If you've got two wizards on the battlefield, it's dealing three. That could be a very, very strong card. Mm-hmm. And there's another, there's one at, at one of the ones at common is a two and a red for a three two when it etbs if you control another wizard you deal two damage to each opponent those being at common i think are going to be able to snowball pretty quickly in a aggressively bent wizards deck that that has those um i'm, I'm pretty scared of that card yeah saprling cards this is also another archetype that's supported in the format uh this is concentrated in black green where do i sign where how do i sign up how do i get the black green deck? i know it looks so sweet <laughs> <laughs> so there's a total of five saprling cards at common three black two green four at uncommon three green and one black green gold card that's slime foot the stowaway that card's so sweet at rare, there's one, and none at mythic. So there's 10 total sapling cards, but despite the fact that there are not a ton of them, they are powerful, and they work very, very, very well together. So Slimefoot the Stowaway, this is the, the black-green-gold uncommon, is one black-green for a 2-3 fungus, and whenever a sapling you control dies, it deals one damage to each opponent, and you gain a life. So every sapling that dies drains. And you can pay four to make a 1-1 green sapling creature token. So kind of does it all there. We just came off of Masters 25 where there was not Blood Artist. What was the name of it? Uh, Zulaport Cutthroat. Yeah, like a Zulaport Cutthroat-esque card there. I think that card's going to be super powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Spore Crown Thalid. This is one and a green for a 2-2. And each other creature you control that's a fungus or a sapling gets plus one, plus one. So a lord there for the sapperlings. There's also Fungal Plots. This is one and a green for a build-around enchantment. One and a green exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a 1-1 green sapling creature token, and sacrifice two sapperlings. You gain two life and draw a card. So a nice engine card there for the sapperling deck. That card feels like it does it all for me. I mean, that and Slimefoot, but I'm just so excited about this, this archetype. Yeah, just wheel spinning, paying tons of mana to make 1-1s, one sacrificing those 1-1s one one to draw a card, yeah. like 8 mana to draw a card. What more could you possibly want to do in a game of limited? Absolutely nothing. In addition to the like dedicated sapperling, I'm making 1-1s one deck and caring about those 1-1s, one there are also a handful of cards in the set that care about sacrificing creatures, and these 1-1s one are perfect fodder for that. So we've got a couple cards at common and a couple cards at uncommon that want you to be sacrificing things, and I think that's another place to be tossing these 1-1s one away. For sure. The next thing we want to look at is mana sinks in the format. And boy, howdy, am I excited to have Kicker as a mechanic in Limited because this is a perfect place to dump mana when you have mana to dump. These are going to be concentrated mostly in red-green, but we've got 15 cards total with Kicker at common, 7 at uncommon, two at rare and one at mythic. So again, we're seeing like a pretty steep decline going from common to mythic, which makes me think this is four limited. So 25 total cards that have kicker and nine of those are in green and seven of those are in red. So this is mostly in red green. So that's a place to look for dumping mana. And there are a handful of other cards to put mana at common and uncommon. A few that we wanted to point out that are are really strong. One being but we just talked about in the green black sapperling deck, Slimefoot the Stowaway. That's going to be an excellent mana sink. Another one is going to be Rona, Disciple of Gix. This is one blue black for a 2 2 legendary creature human artificer. 
Um, it says, when Rona, Disciple of Gix, enters the battlefield, you may exile target historic card from your graveyard. You may cast non-land cards exiled with Rona, and you may pay four and tap it to exile the top card of your library. So this is a way to generate, albeit very slowly and very mana-intensively, to generate card advantage from this one outlet. It's a very Ethan Sachs-type card, uh, for, if you will. For example, if you will. If, uh, <laughs> if you're looking for a way to do nothing and then deck yourself, this is for you. And then we've also got a cycle of uncommon lands. These are the memorial lands. These are lands that produce a single color of mana, and they come into play tapped. And then they also have some sort of uh, mana cost that's in their color to tap the land and sacrifice it, and then you get some bonus. And I think the Esper ones of these are definitely the best. So Memorial to Folly is the black one. The ability here is two and a black tap, sacrifice it to return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Memorial to Genius is the blue one. Uh, this has four and a blue tap sacrifice to draw two cards. And Memorial to Glory is the white one, which has three and a white tap sacrifice to create two one one white soldier creature tokens um, so these are going to be places right these are lands themselves and then once you have too much lands you can cash these in for a pretty powerful effect there's also wraths that we want to take a look at in the format uh, the first is a common this is not really a wrath so much as like a sideboard card but radiating lightning three and a red deals three damage to a player and one damage to each creature they control so we'll be able to pick off sacrilings that are running around maybe and there's also some soldier tokens i think running around in white at Uncommon, there's Fight with Fire. Uh, this is a really strong Uncommon. It's two and a red, deal five to a creature at Sorcery. And you can also kick it for seven red red, I think, nine total mana, uh, and deals 10 damage divided any way you choose among creatures and or players. So like a gigantic Rolling Thunder there if you get up to nine mana. At Rare, we have Urza's Ruinous Blast. This is four and a white for a Legendary Sorcery. Uh, and you exile all non-land, non-legendary permanents. So to cast a legendary sorcery, you have to have what now? You have to have a legendary creature in play or a legendary planeswalker in play. Legendary creature or planeswalker. So essentially for limited, a legendary creature. Correct. And then at Mythic, for uh, we have a saga. This is Phyrexian Scriptures. This is two black black for an enchantment. And when you put the second counter on it, the first counter lets you turn something into an artifact, one of your creatures, presumably. And then the second counter destroys all non-artifact creatures. So you get to keep your best creature and your opponent gets nothing. So Dune Blast was a card. What format was that in? Ooh. Wasn't, isn't this like Dune Blast? I don't remember. What is Dune Blast? Dune Blast is like four white, black, green for a sorcery that lets you oh right destroys all creatures but one right yes yes was that in cons yeah that was cons the card was great that card was a house so we're not seeing great sweepers which i'm totally fine with yes the only one is that's any good at all i think is phyrexian scriptures well i mean fight fight with fire is also great but but most of the time fight with fire is going ten you just to kill your opponent i think right yes yeah, the Phyrexian Scriptures is great, and I like that it's at Mythic, so we're not going to see it that much. And I like that you have a turn to try and, like, not overextend into it or whatever, you know? Like, you see it coming, so you have, like, a way to at least react to it a little bit. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I think Wraths are generally not super fun and limited. We want to look at life gain, and there's a fair bit, and unsurprisingly, it's concentrated in white and black, and those are the colors that generally get lifelink or incidental life gain, but there seems to be a fair bit of that floating around. We don't need to rattle off every card that exists, but I do want to name just a few, and one of them is Mesa Unicorn. This is an essential bishop soldier reprint, so it's one and a white for a 2-2 unicorn with lifelink. So we've got our bear with upside here. Pretty excited about that card. We've also got On Sarah's Wings, which is, uh, I think we 
I want to call this steroids devotion. This is like Squire's devotion to the nth degree. So this is a legendary enchantment for three and a white that enchants a creature and enchanted creature is also legendary and it gives enchanted creature plus one plus one and has flying, vigilance, and lifelink. I'm happy to see this card. I'm happy to see that it's not at common, but I also think when this card hits the battlefield, it's going to have a huge impact on the game. Yeah. Move over, Squire's Devotion. There's a new girl in town. <laughs> there is a new girl in town. Uh, and we've also got uh, a pretty nice kicker payoff for life gain, with his, which is Croson Druid. Two and a green for a 2-3, and it has kicker of five and a green. And when you it enters the battlefield, if you paid the kicker cost, you gain 10 life. I am so psyched about this card. I hope this card's really good, because if it is, I'm going to love this format. That's just so much life. That's just so much mana to pay, but also so much life to gain. That reads, if you cast this, the aggro deck loses. Yeah, that's true. But how are you getting to that much mana if the aggro deck was... Land or elves. It's going to be fine. Yeah. All right. There's also, uh, we want to take a look at mana fixing in the format. There's not a ton of it, and it's not particularly great. Certainly not as good as it was in Rivals. Say it ain't so. Not good fixing? I know. It's terrible. So there's Grow from the Ashes. This is two and a green for a sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card, put it under the battlefield. Uh, And it's got Kicker 2, and if you kicked it, you get to get two basic land cards and put them onto the battlefield. And those come into play untapped, worth noting. There's also Land of War Envoy. This is two and a green for the 3-2, and you can filter mana through it, so you can pay one and a green without tapping it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. There's Navigator's Compass. This one is not very good at all, in my opinion. Yeah. This is colorless mana for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you gain three life, and you can tap it until end of turn. Target land you control becomes the basic land type of your choice in addition to its other types. So easy to draw comparisons between this and Prophetic Prism. The huge difference is three life is not the same as drawing a card. Drawing a card is infinitely better than gaining three life. So you are down a card when you cast Navigator's Compass, which is not worth the fixing, in my opinion. I think this is going to be, I mean, I think there are a lot of mistakes that limited players are going to make early on in the format, and one of them is going to be running Navigator's Compass in their deck. Yep. You're going to see a lot of those in pre-release weekend, I think. Yep. Skittering Surveyor, this is a good one. This is three mana for a 1-2, and when it enters the battlefield, you get to search your library for a basic land card and put it into your hand. Yeah, so it's, I mean, we've seen this effect before with Pilgrim's Eye, which was three mana for a 1-1 Flyer that had the same effect. Now, a 1-1 Flyer for three is better than a 1-2 Vanilla for three, but I think it does enough probably in a set with, like, Historic and Artifact Matter synergies, and also just being able to, like, pay three mana to have a chump blocker and get that basic land. I think this is going to be the best way to fix your mana in the format, and it's nice that it's colorless. The last thing that we want to take a look at before we get into our grading differences is flying, because I think, surprisingly, flying is still a relevant uh, ability, and it often rules formats. I mean, I think in Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan, evasion was king a lot of the time. So we've got eight creatures with flying at common, and one aura that grants flying, and those are all concentrated in the Esper colors, so white, blue, black. Seven creatures with flying at uncommon and one aura that grants flying. Again, these are in the Esper colors. There's a red, white, gold uncommon and the blue, red, gold uncommon as well. And we've got one card with reach in green. This is Mammoth Spider. This is four in a green for a three, five with with reach. And there's also a sort of like plummet uh, variant uh, that deals seven damage to a flying creature. So I think depending on how much these cards rule the format, that plummet effect may be main deckable, certainly in sealed and and much less likely for draft, but certainly could happen in draft where you're going to just need to make sure you have a way to deal with those flying threats. Yeah, flying looks strong to me. I'm excited about flying in this format. Well, let's get right into it, Ben, because we've got a handful of cards that we want to talk about. So Ben and I graded 
each card, each common and uncommon separately from each other. And then we put both of our grades in the same spreadsheet. And we're going to take a look at cards where we had uh, a pretty big difference in our grades. So at least like two gradations away from each other. And we're, we'll discuss how we thought about the card and hopefully we can swing one or the other to our side. So why don't we start off with a pretty big difference here. We're going to look at a white common Call the Cavalry. So Call the Cavalry is three and a white for a sorcery, and it says you create two, two, two white knight creature tokens with vigilance. It's strong. I mean, it's a good card. Uh, I gave it a C. You gave it a B minus, right? I gave this a B minus, yes. And I, I recently put out, last night, I put out a question on Twitter and to our Discord about ranking the top three white commons, because this was really hard for me. White's got a lot of very flatly powered things, and a lot of them are underpowered, in my opinion. I like this card. I give it a C, but I'm not crazy about it. Talk to me about why it pulls you into white. I just think that this is a lot of power and toughness for the rate that I'm getting. And I feel like we've gone back and forth about like, on the one hand, we think like, well, a three mana three, three just like doesn't cut it anymore in limited. And I think I agree with that. But a four mana four, four spread across two bodies with vigilance in a set that like cares about tokens in a set that has some sort of like maybe there are some good auras like when you create two tokens uh, you feel worse about throwing an aura on those one of those creatures because you don't really quite get like two for one you're still left behind with something fairly relevant i just think that this card is gonna do a lot of work and i feel like i like it better than the clunky removal spells in white okay so here here were my thoughts for why i only give this a c mm -hmm. there's also avon sentry at three and a white for a three two flyer mm -hmm. i think of those two cards right now at least initially i'd prefer to have avon sentry in my pile so i think avon sentry is better than this but i could certainly be wrong about that right it depends on how the format plays out yeah but my looking at the creature stats also like knowing that the the average creature stats are kind of like a two three mm -hmm. it seems like it's going to be fairly easy for these two twos to get blanked so I think the, the two, two twos are going to be good on defense, but I don't think they're going to be doing tons of attacking necessarily. Like if they're staring down one, two, three, you can't attack with either of them. Whereas Aben Sentry is going to be able to continue to get in the air. So I think this could be a fine card if you're looking to clog up the ground, but I don't think it's going to be particularly great in aggro. I don't know. And a lot of people listed this as a card that was in their top white comments. So I could be totally off base here. But for now, and it's a four drop. And I think like they're going to be so interchangeable. Call the Cavalry and Avon Sentry. Like, I don't think you're necessarily going to care about which one you have in your four drop slot. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, and maybe it just is a bias towards the kinds of decks that I like to draft. But I just think this is this just seems like a lot to me. This seems like a lot that you're getting for what you're paying for it. I would rather have a 4-4 four, four Vigilance than two two twos with Vigilance. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. So you're not really getting to attack with them as a 4-4, four, four, but it's it just feels like it's so much power and toughness. It is. It's a lot. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Uh, what's the next card we want to take a look at? I will. I, I'm, I'm going to move up to C+. There. I think the card's strong. The next card we want to take a look at is Pegasus Courser. This is two and a white for a 1-3 Pegasus with flying. Whenever it attacks, another target attacking creature gains flying until end of turn. All right, so I gave this a C minus, you gave this a C plus. I think this card fails the quadrant theory test pretty hard. Okay. So three mana for a one three flyer is very bad. That's like not a good rate. So this is basically only good when you're ahead and I guess at parity, but it's miserable when you're behind and it feels like it's kind of miserable in your opening hand. I don't know, like I just don't want to be paying this amount of mana for this small of stats. And I would just rather have a creature that already had flying. Like, this will be good, I think, in, like, white-green when you can, like, launch a Baloth Gorger and have a 4-mana four 4-4 four, four flyer. But other than that, I'm not super excited about this card. 
So my thoughts were this sort of reminds me of like a similar effect to Territorial Hammer Skull, except it's got one less power, right? Which is not ideal. Like this is an aggressively slanted card with only one power, but I do think it plays defense okay, right? It's going to be able to blank your opponent's 2-2 that they played on turn two. You're going to be able to block it safely with this. And then later in the game, I think this could be a real problem for your opponents. I think flying is going to be a key way to close out games in this format again. And I like the fact that this has a lot of toughness uh, and is going to be able to jump another creature in the air. This is not Territorial Hammer Skull with one less power. Come on. Because Hammer Skull removed a blocker. This just makes another attacker evasive. Uh, that's a big yeah. That's a big difference, I think. Yeah, it's certainly worse. But I, I like this card. Yeah, I, I think I'm generally lower on these kinds of effects. And I'm probably just going to need to get like crushed by it a few times before I start to take it as high as most other people will be taking it. Moving on to the uncommons, we've got... A one-mana 2-1 that we're going to disagree on here. So we've got Dauntless Bodyguard. So it's one white for a 2-1 human knight. As it enters the battlefield, you choose another creature you control, and you can sacrifice it, sacrifice Dauntless Bodyguard, that is, to give the chosen creature you named indestructible until end of turn. I give this a C plus. You give this a D plus. So we're full grade apart there. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that this is good on turn one and it's good on turn eight. You're going to be able to play it as a one-mana 2-1. And then later in the game, if you top deck it, uh, you're going to be able to protect whatever your best creature is. Maybe C plus is a little aggressive. Maybe it's more like a C, C minus. But I think the fact that this is a good early aggressive card that still has relevance later in the game when you draw it is good. Well, when were we talking about like if there are two mana two ones and two twos and one threes? I think the one threes are king in that scenario. So I think in a format where one threes and especially there's a handful of them that are like two mana one threes that then have kicker. So they have a little get you a bonus if you pay them for like six mana that we'll talk about. I think in a format where those exist, this card looks quite bad. And it's not quite like protect your best creature because like they like they see the combat trick coming from a mile away. So they can like your opponent can be prepared for it or interact with it in a way that is favorable for them. I don't think that's the, I don't think this is the card you're going to be thrilled to top deck on turn eight. I don't think you're going to be thrilled. I'll go down to C minus. I might have been a little, little overzealous there. All right, there we go. We got him. This next one I am excited to talk about. This is Sanctum Spirit, 3 and a white for a 3-2 with lifelink. Does not have flying. 3-2 lifelink. And you can discard a historic card to give it indestructible until end of turn. Okay, so I gave this a B- and you gave this a C. Mm-hmm. And I think when I did the set review with Travis, like I think talking through this card helped me figure out like why I thought it was better. Like I think this looks a lot better, or it is a lot better than it looks. I think this card looks kind of bad, actually. Like it's a 4-mana 3-2 with lifelink, who cares? Discard a historic start, give it indestructible until end of turn. Well, how many times you're going to have a historic card? Who knows? But I think the fact that one... Three power of lifelink is quite strong. So like just being able to trade this off with something and gain three life is going to be pretty good. And the like threat of activation here is pretty real. Like it's a free activation and they don't know if you have it or not. So I think you most of the time you just have to like make them have it. But you kind of can skew your deck a little bit. I think this is maybe one of the reasons to to draft in a historic bent, like grab some more legendary stuff if you're even if they're not great or grab maybe a couple more artifacts. But the fact that you can like for free protect this with a, with a card from your hand and they don't have, you don't have to have it. Like they may respect it. They may misplay and play around it. I think it's just going to do a lot and be kind of annoying. And, and let's say they did build their deck around it and they do have ways to protect it. This is going to be really hard to deal with. Yeah. I just think this is going to, I think you're going to be forced to discard cards 
too often. Four mana for a three two lifelink is fine. It's not a great rate. Like you'd rather no. it be three mana for a three two lifelink for sure. And like, can just imagine staring down your common there. The four mana make two 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 night tokens. Like mm-hmm. this card just looks miserable in the face of that. Like a- any yeah, creature, you're going to be having to pitch a historic card to activate it. Yeah, it's great that it's free and you don't have to pay for it, and you're kind of turning your thing into a doom blade. But the things you're going to be doom blading by discarding your good artifacts, legendaries, and sagas, because I think most of the legendaries and sagas are strong is going to be you pitching a good card to get rid of a bear on your opponent's side, which I don't know that that's going to work out great for you. Yeah, all right, I'll go down to C+. I'll go down to C+. Maybe this isn't a pull into white. I mean, I think it's fine. I think it's a good card. I think you're yeah. always playing in your white decks, but I don't know that it makes me want to play white. Next, we've got Triumph of Gerar. This is our saga here. One and a white for an enchantment. So when it ETBs, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control with the greatest power. The following turn, you do that same effect after your draw step. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control with the greatest power. On the next turn, after your draw step, target creature you control with the greatest power gains flying, first strike, and lifelink until end of turn. So I gave this a C, you gave it a B-, and I will say that Travis was also pretty high on this card when we talked about it. So so tell me what you're excited about. I'm excited about, I think I know what you're not excited about. I'm excited about the fact that this is like a really strong aura, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And it's got good things and bad things, right? The good things is you're loading up your plus one plus one counters on a creature over a couple turns, and then the lifelink flying first strike, presumably your opponent's not going to be able to block it profitably, and you're going to get a big life swing. The bad, the downside of the card is, which is very real, your opponent can see it coming from a mile away. Mm-hmm. So they might be able to like fire off a removal spell before you get to the third part of the saga. Those types of things. What are your thoughts? Yeah, he compared this to Ordeal of Heliod, which I thought was a pretty smart comparison that didn't require you to attack, which I think is makes it better than that, probably. So I think the two mana, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control with the greatest power. Over two turns. That's not worth a card, right? Uh, It could enable attacks for your creature. I I think that might be worth a card. It might be. Close. Maybe it's worth a card in like, an, like it's a synergy an aggressive deck, grade, yes. so it's an aggressive mm-hmm. deck. I think this only goes in an aggressive deck, yeah. Yeah. I guess the thing the thing that bothers me about it is like you're, it's forcing you to buff your biggest thing, which your opponent is incentivized to kill anyway. And yes, the fact that I you play this on your turn and then I know, okay, in two turns I'm going to have to kill thing X. So you're letting me set up to prevent whatever this like third chapter going off is, which you have to have instant speed removal for. So fine, but that doesn't ask a lot of you. Like it, it asks that you have that in your deck and that you save it if it's in your hand, that sort of thing. This is probably better than I think, but I, I don't know. Maybe this is a maybe this is a B minus, and it's just like you take this and this is going to slant me towards an aggressive deck because this can snowball pretty pretty hard. I could see C plus or B minus. Right, Either I'm way, a, I'm it's, it's right on C the borderline. This is better. I just don't want this to be good because I don't want aggro to be good. <laughs> All right, moving on to blue at common. We've got Arcane Flight. This is single blue for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has flying. So throwback to one with the wind here from the last block, but you get plus one, plus one instead of plus two, plus two for one mana cheaper. I give this a C. You gave this a D. Yeah, so I was initially, my when I first read through the spoiler when it dropped on Thursday, I texted Ben and I was like, I think we have another beard format on our hands. And then looking at it again, looking at the removal, I think we don't. I don't think this is an, an Aura's 
matter kind of set like Ixalan was. Though I do think there is that sub-theme, especially concentrated in red-white and maybe in red-blue with Arcane Flight. So I think there is a home for this card, for sure. So I think I might want to give it a synergy grade of some sort rather than just a straight D. But my problem with this versus how one with the wind matched up in Ixalan is that this doesn't give enough of a power toughness boost to creatures that are already small versus how the removal fares against it. So we do have, like, the one of the biggest shifts from Ixalan to Rivals of Ixalan making auras worse was that all the removal got basically a mana cheaper. And we have that again here. We have Eviscerate in black as three and a black sorcery destroy target creature. So you're not getting, and, and this it's not like this being a mana cheaper means like, well, it comes down a turn earlier. No, you still have to have a creature already in play. So like the soonest this is going to come out and do work is on turn two. And so you get in a couple hits with your thing, maybe, before they pick this off. And I just don't think this does enough in terms of power and toughness boost. It's not giving it unblockable even. There are still flyers in the set that can just block the thing you put this on if you're putting this on something on an early turn. I just think this is not impactful enough without other synergies floating around for it. I agree that the plus one plus one is a real knock as opposed to plus two plus two. I'm going to go down to like, I don't know, C minus, D plus. It's still a powerful card, right? It forces your opponent to have an answer. It's still powerful. And I do think there will be a home for it. I just think it's much, much more narrow than like where one with the wind was just like, I slap this in any deck and put it on any creature and win. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go D plus. All right. I wonder, wonder if I can get you down for this next card we want to take a look at. This is our biggest grade difference. This is Sentinel of the Pearl Trident. This is four and a blue for a 3-3 Merfolk Soldier with Flash. When Sentinel of the Pearl Trident enters the battlefield, you may exile target historic permanent you control. If you do, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. I gave this a D plus. Ben gave this a B minus. Can you say that with less disdain in your voice, please? No, not disdain. Uh, more <laughs> surprise and awe. <laughs> Wonder. <laughs> Sentinel of the Pearl Trident. So here's what I think. I think <laughs> sagas are strong. I think some of the sagas are very, very good. And I think being able to reset your saga is a lot of value. Like a 3-3 flash is already reasonable, probably not eating a card with this most of the time. But you also might be able to save like your legendary creature from a removal spell. Like, yes, holding up five mana is a lot. I just think this card is flexible. Maybe B- is a little overzealous, but I think this card is good. I think you're playing it in most blue decks that have historic like sagas or legendary creatures. Here's my question for you. How many sagas do you think you're going to have in an average deck? I'm going to have all of the sagas because I'm an insanely talented drafter. <laughs> Great. How many sagas do you think will appear in an average deck, I should ask? <laughs> Maybe like two? I think it's like 0.8. Okay. I don't think you're going to have a saga in every deck. I think you're going to have, I think it's going to be less. I don't think you're often going to see these because they're only like the base level. There's like what one at uncommon in blue, red, and green, and then two in white and black, like white and black is where they're concentrated, but they're mostly at rare and mythic. And then I don't think they're all great. Like, especially there's like two blue ones at rare that seem kind of clunky to me. I just think they're not going to come up that often. So yeah, resetting a saga is good, but a lot of the things that you want from a saga is to pop off the third chapter. You want that like big explosive bonus. So like if we look at even the the Gerard, the white one we just looked at, that's sort of like Ordeal of Heliod, like, yeah, resetting that is kind of cute. But what you really want is your big thing to get Flying First Strike and Lifelink and Vigilance for a turn. Like, I don't think you want to reset that. Yeah, but what about like saving your legendary, sweet legendary bomb from a removal spell? I just, it's so flexible. It's so versatile. It's so, like, yes, that's the, that's the biggest blowout, right? That's so expensive. You have to set up so much. You have to pass the turn with five mana. They have to fire off a removal spell and then you have to 
be able to go gotcha. I think this asks a lot of your deck. And so like maybe it's a like build around kind of thing or a synergy kind of thing, but it's not just like flat power level. You're not throwing this in every blue deck. No. So maybe like maybe what about what do you think about like a synergy C plus? You can I could go synergy C is where I'll meet you. All right. Synergy C plus synergy C. The last card we want to talk about here is weight of memory. This is three blue blue for a sorcery. Draw three cards. Target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. What's not to love? Five mana draw three. Yeah, I give this a C minus. You give this a B minus. Yeah. I just think it's pretty clunky and a real cost to pay five mana to draw three cards. If you can set it up, it's super powerful. Here's what I will say about this. I'm giving this a like a hopeful B minus. Like we don't need to spend too much time on it. I think we both recognize like what the power of this card is and what the drawbacks of this card is. I am giving it a hopeful B minus that this format is set up where that you can put this in some kinds of decks and it's going to be very powerful. There is like some incidental things that care about stuff and like like incidental self mill i think exists so that second line of text is not super irrelevant but i just hope that five mana draw three has a home in the set and i'm very ready to move down on this grade and very hopeful to move up like i'm hoping that there is a, a slower blue deck that can jam one or two of these in it yeah i mean in blue green if you've got your land of war elves to ramp you out wait a yeah. minute is a great way great way to refill the tank mm-hmm. and i think blue green is where that incidental mill is gonna gonna matter most Okay, moving on to black. First thing up we've got here is Caligo Skin Witch. I'm pretty excited about this card. Yeah. Uh, this is one and a black for a 1-3 with kicker three and a black. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, each opponent discards two cards. So I gave this a C, you gave this a D plus. Uh, here's why I'm excited about it. I think against an aggressive deck that's curving out, you're going to want a two mana 1-3 to block. And then it, it's just great in your aggro matchup, and it's great in your control matchup. In your control matchup, you're going to be able to save it for six mana and maybe la- nab their best two cards that they're trying to play in the control mirror. So normally, the dra- Mind Rot's a powerful card, right? But the drawback of Mind Rot is that it doesn't affect the board. So it's like a horrible liability if you're getting beaten down, whereas this card is not. So I think it's the best of both worlds, and I think it's really strong. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I evaluated this before I kind of realized how many, like, like this blanks X1s, which is great. Like, you're right. Like, it bounces off a 2-2. It's going to be good in the aggro matchup, and then is not going to be an embarrassing top deck when you do top deck it or if you want to save it for max value against mid-range and control decks. I, I, I'm going to move up to C-. minus. All right, we got him. Yeah. The next one we want to talk about in black is an uncommon. It's cast down. This is one on a black for an instant. Destroy target non-legendary creature. So I gave this a B plus. You gave this a B minus. Yeah, this card's very good. I just think non-legendary is a pretty big drawback. This is not Doomblade, right? I think most often the creature you're going to want to kill is going to be legendary. So again, and I don't know the answers to this. I just have guesses. How many legendary creatures do you think are going to be in your average deck? Uh, I don't know. Like... Three to four, maybe? Yeah. Would be my guess. Three to four. So three to four of 15 to whatever. We'll say an average of 15 creatures is going to be legendary. Yes, those are going to be sometimes the more powerful things that you're going to want to kill. So yeah, you won't get to kill it. But like I, I compare this to, remember Go for the Throat in Mirrodin Besieged in Scars yes. of Mirrodin? That said destroy target non-artifact creature. And that was a set where with mostly artifacts. And that was still very strong. Yeah, it didn't kill a lot of stuff, but it still killed quite a bit. And I think this is better than that because I think there are fewer non-legendary or fewer legendary creatures floating around. I think this is going to, my point is, I think this is very good. And I think this is going to be 
be misevaluated by people because like we're like, well, it's a legendary set. This isn't going to kill the things I want. This is still really, really good, and you should take this out of most packs it appears in. Yeah, you're going to be first through third picking this card a lot. Yes. I mean, I, I agree with that. I just think you're going to feel bad when you're staring at, for example, like right here on this page is Ergaros, the empty one, like four black black for a four three flyer. When it deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card at random. If the player can't, you draw a card. If you're staring down that legendary creature with cast down in hand, you're going to feel terrible. Right. I think this requires a bit of you in terms of like when you choose to fire this off. But the fact that it's cheap and instant speed and kills most things, I think makes it one of the premium removal spells and therefore one of the premium spells in the set. I could go up. I could go up to B. I'm not going to go quite B plus. All right. Next up, we've got Lingering Phantom. Five and a black for a 5-4 spirit. Whenever you cast a historic spell, you may pay black. If you do, return Lingering Phantom from your graveyard to your hand. I gave this a C. You gave this a B-, minus, but you can talk me up to A if you want. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot of Lingering in this set. <laughs> <laughs> this card's just... I mean, it's vanilla. It's kind of clunky, but it's just value, right? Like, yeah. we both love... We love value. Like, you're going to be able to grind your opponent out with this card in a dedicated historic deck, and I think this is one of the better historic payoffs uh, at Common or Uncommon. Yeah, I'm a little wary of, like, it pulling me into black because it is so clunky and expensive, but I will be, like, doing dirtily shenanigans with this card for sure. I could see C+. Plus. Yeah. You can talk me down to C+. Plus. All right, I'll, I'll meet you at C+. Plus. All right, what do we got going on in red? In red, we've got our first card to take a look at, one of two, Rampaging Cyclops. This is three and a red for a 4-4 Cyclops that gets minus two, minus zero, as long as two or more creatures are blocking it. So you gave this a C, I gave this a D. Here's why I gave it a D. This card is not good at attacking, right? As soon as your opponent can double block it, they're probably going to be able to trade with it with only one creature or maybe a loss of no creatures. So red feels very, very, very aggressive to me in the format. So it's it's awkward to see a four drop that's not aggressive here. I think this blocks really well, but I think it's borderline unplayable in a deck that's looking to attack. Okay, so I hear what you're saying. And I think that's right. Like, this definitely blocks better than it attacks, especially so this is at common. And red has another beefy common in Kelden Raider, which is two red red for a 4-3. That also has a bonus. When it ETBs, you can discard a card. And if you do, you draw a card. So that is a little bit more mana intensive, but by most intents and purposes, is better than Rampaging Cyclops. But think about it in an aggressive deck. And if they're double blocking this, that means your other attackers are probably getting through. So this has, like some sort of weird menace thing to it where it's like well if you're going to block it you got to block it with two things and yet when that happens it gets a it's, there's a little bit of downside but you can protect that with a removal spell or a combat trick like it's not all like atrocious and i do think that in an aggressive deck this is a very real threat because like this does take if they have if they want to block it they got to take take it down with two things i think that's a pretty big cost when you've hopefully gone like two drop three drop four drop so let me let me ask you this too so with the text on the card if there are two creatures like your opponent has declared blockers there's two creatures blocking it uh -huh. you're responding to your opponent's blockers that have been declared with instance mm -hmm. and you have instant speed removal and you kill one of the two creatures that's blocking it mm -hmm. does it no longer get minus two minus oh does it go back to a four four yeah it does right yeah, it does Okay. I, it's, not, yeah. it's not that it gets minus two, minus two until end of turn, right? It's just, it's a static Yeah, ability. it's as long as yeah. two or more creatures are blocking it. Yeah. Okay, this card's probably better than I thought it was. All right, I'm going to go, yeah, maybe it's just good. I mean, this is all sort of getting, like, uh, redundant because I feel like every four mana four four, I'm like, it's so big. But, like, every color seems to have that. So, like, maybe it's not so big in this set. But, like, this is so big. <laughs> I'm going to go, like, C minus. That's fine. Maybe. That's fine. That's an interesting conversation. Yeah. 
the uncommon that we want to take a look at here is a reprint. This is Skizik, three and a red for a 5-3 elemental. Uh, it has Trample and Haste, and it has a kicker of a single red, and it says at the beginning of the end step, if Skizik wasn't kicked, sacrifice it. I give this a C, you gave this a B-. minus. Talk to me about why you like this card. So, Charging Monster Sword, this is not... But 3 red red for a 5-3 trample haste is still big game. This is very strong in an aggro deck. This doesn't have the huge toughness that Monster Sword did, so it's not like the A-plus that that card was. But I think that most of the time you're going to kick this and play this as a 5-mana 5-3 trample haste. But that, in an aggressive deck, is absurd. Because you're going to, even if if they happen to have a 3-power thing in play, which we are looking at a lot of, of... big things hanging around but they have to block this and then take some number of damage probably but it's just like hasty out the gate and god forbid you do actually have a scenario where you want to fire this off for four mana because you only need it for the one attack then you have that flexibility i think that all adds up to a pretty good card for me and i think a card that's going to pull me into red uh i'll go c plus i think three toughness is a real liability here it's harder to cast than monster sore Monster Sword was just like, I yeah. think how good Monster Sword was is maybe coloring your view of this. Although yeah, I, I have never played with this. So if it's reprinted mm-hmm. and you know that it was good in the format it was in prior, I could certainly be wrong because I've never seen this card before. It was a rare in Invasion, I think. So that that's what's, it's reprinted from a long time ago where creatures were not as good as they are now. I don't know that this makes me want to go into red. I think I want to know I'm an aggressive deck before I want to pick this card. But doesn't this, I think this card makes you want to draft want to an be aggressive. aggressive? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with C+. All right, that's fair. Moving on to green. Our first common here is Adventurous Impulse. It's a single green for a sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. I gave this a D-, which is probably too low, and you gave this a C-. So uh, the way I was looking at this card was like a split land creature card, like similar to uh, what's the single green, like look for dinosaur, like look at the top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that card called? Commune with dinos. Commune with dinos. Thank you. This is obviously a lot less powerful than that because you only get a dig three, but just like the ability to put a split land creature in your deck, like for a 17th land or something might be okay, but you're probably running 17. Like there's a lot of good mana sinks in this format. I don't know. D plus C minus. I think this is probably a, just a D. Like, I just don't think you're running this very often. I think this might even be better than Commune with Dinosaurs because you can hit any creature. Like that was a frustrating card to top deck. Commune was a frustrating card to top deck because sometimes you would look at four cards or five cards and see like lands and non-dinosaur creatures that you wanted. But that's the fact that this also like doesn't, doesn't hit anything. So it's not like just impulse. Like, yeah, you're not going to have a ton of removal spells or combat tricks, but sometimes those are the things you want. I just don't love these cards. Like these card, these cheap cantrips, I feel like people often think, well, they're free or they're so cheap or like this gives you card selection. But like this and Opt and Commune with Dinos, these are cards that I'm not super excited to run in my decks and I think are often like filler to bad. So I'm, I'm, I'll go D on this card. I'll go D+. Next up, we've got Gift of Growth. This is one in a green for the instant with Kicker 2, untapped target creature. It gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. If this spell was kicked, that creature gets plus 4, plus 4 until EOT instead. I give us a D plus, you give this a C. Yeah, this is one of the more exciting combat tricks for me in the set. Just because I think it's just so flexible. The untapped target creature is very real. And while as the set progresses, people will be able to play around this a lot. But this is really, it's really hard to play around an untapped combat trick. Because like, you know, if I attack with something and they're like, oh, they've got gift of growth, I'm not going to block. 
Well, then when it gets to your attack step, you can't really attack with something now anyway, because I can still play Gift of Growth to untap my creature. Now, now you have open mana, and maybe you can respond with a removal spell, that sort of thing, so you don't just fire it off in every scenario. But I think it makes combat really tough. I think the fact that you can just, like, randomly deal four extra damage to someone for four mana... I think this is going to just, like, win games randomly, or you're going to have to think about this a lot in terms of, like, combat when you're at a low life total, because it is flexible and has that kicker cost. I think all of that adds up to a card that does quite a bit for me in terms of a combat trick. Yeah, you know what? I missed the text, untapped target creature on this card. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did when I was evaluating it. So I'm going to go up to C-. minus. It is good, you're right. Yeah. And better, I think we were discussing in the pre-show for the, the podcast that I thought Arbor Armament was better than this. I no longer think that, I think, knowing that this card untaps target creature. Great. So, reading cards. I also said that I think the art on this, you know that gif of, like, Homer walking backwards into the bushes? Uh, That's what this art no. reminds me of. Well. Other savvy internet folks will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, next up, we've got Grun, the Lonely King. <laughs> this is four green green for a 5-5. Five five. It's got kicker three, so you can pay nine total mana. If Grun, the Lonely King, was kicked, it enters the battlefield with five plus one plus one counters on it. Whenever Grun attacks alone, double its power and toughness until end of turn. You know what I'm going to say about this card? That you're going to be a Lonely King? I don't know. <laughs> it's so big! <laughs> It's so big, yeah. It's so big. <laughs> but like, okay, so you give this a B, I give this a C plus. It's huge, it's right? A B, it's a B minus. I'll go down to B minus. Like, we, we don't really need to discuss this card that much. This card, I think we do because this doesn't make me want to play green. It has to attack alone to get double the power and toughness. Uh -huh. And if you're doing that, it can get chump blocked into oblivion. So why would you attack alone with it? So don't attack alone with it. Then it's just a 5-5. Five five. Nah, nah, it's a 10-10. Ten ten. <laughs> If you have nine mana. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I have three land worlds on my deck. Yeah. <laughs> this card is not good. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. fine. You're probably right. It's like a C, C plus. It's so big and dumb. It's probably a C plus. I would rather have Colossal Dreadmaw in my deck than Grown the Lonely King. How dare you talk about Grown that way? <laughs> no, of course you would, because it has Trample. No, you're right. And I would, and I want Baloth Gorger, which is the four mana four for it common. I want it to, I'll take that over this all day. Yeah, I think uh, I think runs a C plus. You're right. Okay, Song of Frailies is up next. This is one in a green for an enchantment saga. The first thing it does when it enters the battlefield until your next turn, creatures you control gain tap at one man of any color. The following turn, it does that same effect after your draw step. And then the second turn after you put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control, those creatures gain vigilance, trample, and indestructible until end of turn. Yeah, I don't like this card. Yeah, you give it a D plus, I give it a C plus. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be powerful in some of the, like in green, white, I think especially really wants to go wide uh, with soldier tokens and sapperling tokens. And I like that the first two abilities let you dump your hand to get your hand down to get the plus one plus one counter on like the maximum number of creatures. I think this could be really strong in a go wide token stack. It doesn't make me want to play that deck, which is why I gave it a C plus. But I think the two mana for an anthem on your team that's permanent, I think there's going to be a lot of tokens board states where this is just really busted. All right, I can get down with giving it a synergy grade of some sort to think about it in like green, white or green, black tokens. Like synergy C C plus, but like I just this requires so much. You have to have all those cards in your hand already, and your opponent sees the th again they see it coming. So it's not like just a, an overrun or a mini overrun effect that is a surprise. They're gonna see it that it's gonna happen in two turns, so they get to set up playing around that as best they can, which is I think a real cost. I don't know. Just like, yeah, the first two abilities do let you dump your hand, but then you're not attacking. Like <laughs> these these sagas are like. <laughs> 
such good poster childs for our tendencies in evaluating cards because i'm like yeah this is gonna be awesome you're gonna do all this stuff over the next three turns it's gonna be perfect yeah and i'm always worst case scenario with these things i like synergy c plus i think this is gonna do some work in a tokens deck i'll go synergy c plus with you okay the last green card we want to look at is wild onslaught <laughs> this is three in a green for an instant put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control and it has kicker four if the spell was kicked, you put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control instead. Benjamin. <laughs> this is the same argument we just had. This is so much worse. This is so much better than oh, Song of Freilies. It's so much better. This is the strength of the pack argument all over again. And that card was bad. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. So strength of the pack at the end of the format was like a C or a C plus. It was very good in a merfolk deck that went wide. You didn't make you want to play that deck, but if you were in that deck, you were thrilled to put strength of the pack in your deck. You lost to strength of the pack a reasonable amount in the format. And I think this format has even more of a go wide theme, like with the sapperling tokens and the knights. Wild Onslaught is certainly going to be better in this format than strength of the pack was in Rivals of Ixalan. So you at least have to give it a synergy grade, I think. All right, I'll go synergy C plus then. Yeah. I'll move up on Song of Freilies. I'm sticking with this card being I, I don't even know that that's true. I don't think this has to be a synergy grade. What if this is just like four mana instant, put a plus one plus one counter on two attacking creatures as a combat trick? That's great. You're going to two for one your opponent a lot of the time. Uh-huh. And what if you're behind? Then it's going to do nothing and you're going to have two creatures. And you're going to lose. <laughs> what if you're at parity and it's just like one big garbage board stall? But you could say that about every combat trick ever. But I'm just trying, well, I'm trying to put these like things in context of like the states you're going to see in games. And I think the argument of like, well, when you're attacking with two creatures, it's great. Well, most things are good when you're <laughs> able to attack with two creatures. <laughs> no, okay. But let, so let's back up to the common combat trick. The one uh -huh. in the green for the plus two plus two untap. Uh -huh. I think this is a better combat trick than that. Like that also requires a creature to be in play. Uh-huh. But plus two plus two is so much bigger and it's so much cheaper. And it untaps the thing. Yeah, but it doesn't leave counters. I, this is at least as good as that, if not better. All right, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, I All look right. forward to watching you cast this on your stream because either <laughs> I'll get to be right or I'll be informed. Yeah, like you're gonna, you're either gonna get a gloat when it's stranded in my hand, or uh -huh. you're gonna be amazed at how awesome my card evaluation skills are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, C plus, Synergy C plus. No, I'm just sticking with C plus. And he's just sticking with C plus. He's going to just plus. die on that hill. Okay. I am dying on that hill. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right, we got a land we got to talk about here as our final uh, final difference before we get into our rankings, and that is Zalfrin Void. This is a land that taps for a colorless mana, and when it enters the battlefield, you scry one. Yeah, so I gave this an F, you gave this a C minus. Yeah. I don't think I'm ever putting this card in my deck i don't think the value of scry one is worth the downside of having to mulligan hands or being color screwed when you need a colored source so here's here's a question for you mm -hmm. if you've got like a two color deck that probably like an eight eight split sounds good and it's not like it's certainly not a, a late game deck but it's not like hyper aggressive like you're like mid-range to aggro with some kicker costs so like that 17th land isn't the worst I think there is a scenario where this is the land you want to play. I don't think it's making... It's not certainly not going in every deck, but I think when my mana is good enough and when I feel like, well, I don't like quite need 17 lands, but I don't quite... But I also have some kicker costs in my deck, which I think is going to come up a lot. Having this extra land that has Scry 1 on it isn't going to be the worst thing you can do. 
All right, you're right. So I would go up to D minus then. There is a scenario where you would probably play this land if you wanted to run like as a sort of like 17th land that gave you some value if you didn't really want to run 17 land. That that scenario makes sense to me. But I think that's like few and far between. And Fair. I think more people are going to try to play this card than should. They're going to see land that gives you scry one and they're going to jam it in a deck that's got heavy color requirements. And I think it's going to be a mistake. That I totally agree with. Okay. All right, it is time for the rankings, and boy howdy, are we different this time around. Yeah, we are. I have a feeling I'm wrong on a lot of them. (laughs) We will have to see. So what do you got for your white commons? For my white commons, in the number three slot, I have Pegasus Courser. That is two and a white for the one three flyer that, when it attacks, uh, brings another creature into the air along with it. My third white common, I have Gideon's Reproach. That's one and a white for the instant. Deal four damage to target attacking or blocking creature. That is my second white common, and I think that card is either going to be great or mediocre, depending on how the format shakes out. I'm Mm -hmm. hoping it's going to be great. I think it is going to be great, and I could see it being better than what I have as my second white common, which is Blessed Light, four and a white for an instant, exile, target creature, or enchantment. That is my number one white common. Yeah, and I have Call the Cavalry as my number one white common. That's the three and a white sorcery make two white knight creature tokens with vigilance. So I had a really hard time ranking these top three white commons, and I think a lot of that is due to, like, once we know the exact speed of the format and, like, kind of what the optimal strategies are in the format, I think it's going to be very obvious which of the white commons are the best. But until we know that, it's really hard to peg them, as it were, uh, for the Pegasus Courser and things like that. I'm surprised you put Pegasus Courser there over Avon Sentry. Yeah, it was so hard. So the reason I didn't put either... So Avon Sentry is the three and a white, three, two flyer. The reason I didn't put that or the four mana make two, two, twos is that they both cost four mana. And I think I'm going to be happy with either of them in my four drop slot. Mm -hmm. So ergo, I don't think they're going to be that high of a pick. That was my thought process. And it might be wrong. Like they might both end up being in the top white commons if the format's slow enough because they're both powerful, right? Yeah, we'll have to see. All right, what about the uncommons? Uncommons uh, in second place, which hurts my heart, I have On Sarah's Wings. Uh, it's going to be my new bay. Mm. That's the three and a white for the enchantment that gives your creature, what was it? Flying, lifelink, and vigilance. Yeah, it's going to be busted. And plus one, plus one, right? Yeah, that is my second white uncommon as well. What's your number one? Sarah Angel is my number one. Three white, white for the four, four flying vigilance. Good old classic. Good old classic. I put the removal spell as my number one white common. This is seal away. One on a white for an enchantment with flash. And when it enters the battlefield, you exile target tapped creature and opponent controls until seal away leaves the battlefield. That's really strong. It is conditional a little bit, but the nice thing is that it's got flash. So like you're going to be able to, when they attack, kill their attacking creature. Yeah, I think this is going to be, I think this is really good. I guess it doesn't nab Sarah's, Sarah Angel because it has vigilance, but I don't think that's going to come up too often. No, certainly a strong card. I just, I just like both of those proactive threats better, I think, than the removal spell. Yeah, that's fair. We'll have to see. Moving on to blue. In my number three slot, I've got Academy Drake. Uh, this is two and a blue for a 2-2 two, two flyer with kicker four. And if it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters. So if you pay seven mana, you get a 4-4 four, four flyer. I think I had a similar problem with you with white as like white. I felt really good about my rankings and blue. I feel really not great about them because it feels like the power level is kind of flat for me. Like I had a lot of C pluses in my grades and no like things that pushed into B minus. I gave syncopate my number three slot which could definitely move up or down depending on how the format goes. This is X and a blue for an instant to counter target spell unless its controller pays X. And if that spell is countered this way, you exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. Okay, so I have a question for you. You really liked counter spell in the master's set. 
I would argue that Syncopate is like close to as good as Counterspell, maybe better because it's not as heavy color committing. Like you don't have to be insanely heavy base blue for it to be great. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts are that Counterspell late game always lets you double spell and Syncopate doesn't. Okay, that's um, fair. And that, that's a pretty big difference to me. Yes, I agree. Okay, in my number two slot, I've got Cloud Reader Sphinx. This is four and a blue for the three, four flyer. And when it enters the battlefield, you scry two. Yeah, I really like Cloud Reader Sphinx. That actually, that's my number one. I have as my number two Academy Journey Mage. This is four and a blue for a three, two human wizard. This is one of our like wizard synergy cards. It costs one less to cast if you control a wizard. So that'd be three and a blue. And when it ETBs, you return target creature and opponent controls to its owner's hand. Yeah, I was just down enough on the balance cards in Rivals of Ixalan that a conditional a conditional four, maybe five mana mana war is not necessarily where I want to be. I'm probably playing it in all my blue decks, but I don't think I'm picking it super highly. Yeah, I just, you remember Void Mage? I think that's what it was called. The like five mana one four that ETB bounce a creature. I do not remember that. I think card. it was in Return to Ravnica or one of the maybe Dragon's Maze or something. Anyway, that card was good. Like, I just think this effect is still good at 5 mana 3-2. And I think one of the reasons that Deadeye Rig Hauler, which is this is very similar to out of the last set, wasn't as good is because of the conditional cost. And this doesn't have that. This has the this is the, the good old classic mana war where you can do this pre-combat to bounce a blocker, which I think makes this really strong. And then at number one for me, I had Syncopate as my number one top blue common. I don't know. I think this is these are really going to shuffle around for me, I think. I had Academy Drake as well in my top three. I think Blink of an Eye is very good. That's the one in a blue bounce a thing with kicker one in a blue draw card. I just don't know. I think Cloud Reader Sphinx is the one I'm least confident in because it costs five mana, but it's so powerful. It's so good. Five mana, three, four flyer with scry two is really good. It's very close to three, four flyer draw card, which is just mm-hmm. busted. Yeah. Uh, what about your uncommons? Number two, I've got Time of Ice. This is the Enchantment Saga. When it enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step for as long as you control Time of Ice. The following turn, you do the same thing after your draw step. And then the turn after that, you return all tapped creatures to their owner's hands. Uh, this locks down two creatures for a long time and then bounces them. I think this is going to be a significant tempo hit and is going to end to winning the game a lot of times when it's cast. I have this as the second best blue uncommon as well, and I want to add one more thing onto that. So in addition to what you said, right, it locks down, it takes care of one creature for three turns. It takes care of another creature for two turns. And then the turn before you pop this, your opponent can't really attack you because it returns all tapped creatures to the runner's hand. Jeez. This card is really, I think this is going to be a big grown tester and a really high pick in this format. And then at number one, I assume we're in agreement here. I've got In Bolus's Clutches. This is four blue blue for the mind control and Enchanted Permanent gets legendary status. Yep. This card is bonkers good. All right. Black. My number three black common is... I think we're actually in agreement in black here. Uh, my number three black common is Death Bloom Thalid. This is two and a black for a three two fungus. And it says when Death Bloom Thalid dies, create a one one green sapling creature token. I agree. And at number two, I've got Vicious Offering, one and a black for an instant. It's got kicker, sacrifice a creature. Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. If this spell was kicked, that creature gets minus five, minus five until EOT instead. Yep, I agree. And I've got at number one, Eviscerate, three and a black for a sorcery, destroy target creature. Yeah, these were a lot more clear and straightforward, and I feel like those are probably going to stick for the format. Maybe Death Bloom Thalad will move out, depending on, depending on how things go, but I feel pretty confident about those. Yep. For the black uncommons, in my number two slot, I've got 
Urgaros, the empty one, four black black for the 4-3 flyer, and when it deals combat damage to a player, uh, that player discards a card at random. If that player can't, you draw a card. Sort of a gigantic hypnotic specter. I like that card so, so much. Uh, I did, did not make my top two, though. In my number two slot, I have settled the score, which is two black black for a sorcery, exile target creature, and then it has put two loyalty counters on a planeswalker you control, but that's not going to come up very often. Yep, that's my number one black uncommon. I have Cast Down as my number one black uncommon. That's the one on a black instant destroy target non-legendary creature. Yeah, so I was knocking that. That didn't break my top two because I was knocking it because I was thinking the things you wanted to kill are going to be legendary often enough. I, I, that is something I don't know. I'm just just hunching on that one. Mm-hmm. Moving on to red. What's your uh, number three red common? My number three red common is Kelden Raider. This is the two red red for the four three. And when it ETBs, you can loot or rummage rather. You discard a card. And if you do, draw a card. My number three is Gitu Journey Mage. This is two and a red for a 3-2 human wizard. When it enters the battlefield, if you control another wizard, it deals two damage to each opponent. Yeah, that could end up being super strong in the wizard's deck. Mm -hmm. The reason I didn't put that in my top commons is I think it only goes in that one deck probably, or is only like a high pick in that one deck. Yeah, that could be true. Otherwise, it's pretty fair. Whereas Kelden Raider in any red deck is probably going to be very strong. Oh, I love Kelden Raider. Kelden Raider is my number two. Oh, is it? All yeah. right. Kelden Raider is your number two. In uh, my number two slot, I've got Bloodstone Goblin. I think this is the best aggressive two drop in the format. Uh, and I think it's going to be really strong. This is one in red for a two, two. When you cast a spell, if that spell, oh no, this is Kicker. Yeah. Uh, if that spell was kicked, Bloodstone Goblin gets plus one, plus one and gains menace until end of turn. I was thinking it was historic for some reason in my head. Uh, Either way, I stand by it. I think this two drop is very, very good. Two mana, two, two is great. And if you manage to kick spells, three, three menace is also a gigantic threat. So two drop that stays relevant into the late game is going to be really strong, I think. Yeah, I don't know. That card seems like it's going to be just a bear most of the time and maybe like twice in a game is going to get that bonus. And it's going to get the bonus later, like and by the time they're going to have two blockers for it. I don't know. I'm not crazy about that card. So yeah, I have Kelden Raider as my number two red uncommon, and I'm sure we're in agreement for number one. Yes, Sheevan Fire. Yeah, single red for an instant, deal two damage to target creature. Uh, it has kicker four, and if the spell was kicked, it deals four damage to that creature instead. So one mana deal two, or five mana deal four. Both modes are great. You're going to take these early and often. Mm-hmm. Red uncommons. In my number two slot, I've got Wizard's Lightning. This is sort of the pseudo lightning bolts. Two and a red for an instant. Costs two less to cast if you control a wizard, and it deals three damage to any target. Yeah, I have that as my number two. And my number one, I have Fight with Fire. This is two and a red for a sorcery. Deal five to target creature. It has kicker five and a red, so for seven red red you can cast it. And deal ten damage divided as you choose among any number of targets instead. Yep, card is great. That is also my number one. Yeah. Moving on to green commons. Uh, this is going to be a little contentious here. Uh-oh. Yeah. In my number three slot, I've got Sapperling Migration. One and a green for the sorcery. Make two green, one, one Sapperling creature tokens. If it was kicked, it's got kicker four. You make four Sapperling tokens instead. That card is great. It did not crack my top three. I have Yavamaya Sap Herd as my number three. This is two and a green for a 2-2 fungus. When it ETBs, you create a 1-1 green sapperling creature token. So basically Jungleborn Pioneer, but it's a fungus and a sapperling instead of two merfolk. That is actually my number one green common. I know. And in the number two slot for me, I've got Baloth Gorger. This is two green green for the 4-4 with kicker four. If it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it. Yeah, that's my number two as well. My number one is Llanowar Elves, single green for a 1-1 Elf Druid that taps to add a green mana. Yeah, so I left this out of my top three, and I think we should have a conversation about this. Okay. I think Llanowar Elves is good, but I think it's like way better in cube and things like that, where you're ramping to busted stuff. 
I don't know. This is the one I'm most likely to be like way wrong about. And I went back and forth. But I just in the last couple of sets, even in Masters 25, like Arbor Elf was there to untap target forest. I just by the end of that format, I did not like Arbor Elf. I felt like it pigeonholed me like for Llanowar Elves to be great. You have to have like 10 forests in your deck at a minimum, I think. I, I don't know. I, I'm very willing to be wrong about Llanowar Elves, but I think the Sapperling stuff's going to be strong. I think you're going to be able to just make land drops normally. I don't know that the format's going to be about trying to get a turn ahead to cast your mediocre three, four, five mana spells. Here's my pitch for Llanowar Elves. Uh-huh. If Kicker was not in this set, I wouldn't feel as confident about it being the best common, or best green common. But the fact that Kicker exists and that it is concentrated in green makes me feel like this... Because the problem with Llanowar Elves is that it's like a bad top deck. Yes. But I don't think it's going to be a bad top deck a lot of the time if you've got kicker cards, which I think you will if you're in green. And then the other side of it is when you have this on turn one, like, I I said this a lot already, but turn one Llanowar Elves, turn three Bayloth Gorger is going to happen a lot and I think is going to be really strong. And if you can back that up with any sort of other curve, like just being able to be a turn ahead on mana, I think is going to be really powerful. And the fact that you have places to put mana in the handful of mana sinks that exist, plus a bunch of kicker spells, I think is going to make Llanowar Elves super, super powerful. Yeah, it's really good. I'm probably wrong about that one. I don't know. I just have felt so bad about Arbor Elf and things like that. And in Cube, like, I I just always feel like when I pick those cards highly... I end up pigeonholing myself into green. And then if other people around you are taking the Bayloth Gorgers and things like that, like you just end up with a bad deck. I I don't know. Just think about how, like, think about the terrible red-green mid-range deck in Modern Cube that is actually very good and how good Mana Dorks are in that deck. Yes. And I know that, like, the power level is different, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're not getting your pick of, like, Ronus and Hazard and Vengevine in Dominaria. But like, you know, uncommons and rares also exist. We don't we can dream bigger than Bayloth Gorger. I agree. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm I'm very willing to be wrong about Land Worlds. I'm ready to be wrong about that. I just think those other three cards are all rock freaking solid. And Sapperling Migration being a two drop that's relevant on turn two and is like insanely good on turn six in that Sapperling Tokens deck. And has synergies yeah, in, in a couple decks. Mm-hmm. I think Land War Elves is just like I think green really wants to be doing synergistic stuff with saplings. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. And certainly I'm willing to be proven wrong. I think it's important to note that Ancient Animus, the green fight spell, did not make our top three. Yes. That card, I think, is going to be one of the more overrated cards at the start of the format. I agree. I think if you've got legendaries, it's going to be good. But I don't know. You're not going to want to pick Ancient Animus and hope you've got legendaries, I think. I think you're going to want to have legendaries and then pick Ancient Animus. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're playing it in most of your green decks, but I don't think you're supposed to pick it highly. Yeah, I think you'll play one probably. And if you want multiples, you're going to want to look at what your average power toughness is for your creatures. Like, I think I'm most excited about that in a deck that has like a number of Arbor Elves and, or a number of Llanowar Elves and then a number of Bayloth Gorgers. A number of beefy four, five, and sixes where I can feel confident about like that my thing will outclass their thing. Moving on to the uncommons, I gotta move mine. You you give me your number two. I gotta make a different pick because I have grown there, but you talked me off the ledge there. Okay, thanks. The the Lonely King. (laughs) In the number two slot, I've got Spore Crown Thalad. This is one and a green for the two two. Each other creature you control with a fungus or a sapling gets plus one plus one. I think saplings are gonna be great, and the sapling lord sounds awesome to me. I'm gonna pick this early and try to draft saplings. Great. I'm going to join you there with Spore Crown Thalad. I'm excited enough about that card. I think Spore Swarm, three and a, re- three and a green for an instant, make 
three one one sapperling creature tokens may be like more flexible so it might be actually a better card but uh let's just go with the sport crown ballad here and then at my number one slot i assume we're agreeing here this is untamed kavu one and a green for the two two with kicker three vigilance trample if it was kicked it enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it yep this card seems disgustingly good to me Mm -hmm. great on turn five and if you need to play it on turn two in a pinch still rock solid we did it that's the crash course that is the crash course any thoughts about the format before we go yeah i think this format looks really balanced to me which i'm excited about it looks like there's something for everyone and it feels like the decks are valid like it feels like they're i i can clearly see some archetypes already coming to fruition here in a blue red wizards deck and certainly a green black sapperlings deck as we talked about it feels like there's a red white like auras equipment matters deck that has some pretty good payoffs at uncommon i'm seeing seeing some pretty clear strong build arounds uh so i think there's there's tools for aggro there's tools for mid-range there's tools for control and i think that the one threes are going to be kind of sleepers like they were at least sleepers on me this is now like my third time going through the set of cards and i feel like i'm now seeing like oh these do really they hose the sapperling strategies they hose the two ones and the three ones and a lot of them have kicker tacked on so they're not like dead draws late game i just like kicker's gonna be great draft cards with kicker play this is gonna be a 17 to 18 land format is my assumption that would be my guess as well yeah Th- those are my thoughts how about you I think green-white also is looking like a go-wide. I'm a little fuzzy on like what some of the color pairs are wanting to do. Like, for example, blue-black and blue-red are not like immediately... Or not not blue-red, uh, blue-black and black-red are not immediately apparent to me, like what they want to be doing. Yeah, I think black-red less so. Blue-black seems like it's like control-ish, maybe like slight historic matters themes, like winning in the sky. Like, I feel like that's going to be like taking advantage of black's good removal and blue's good evasion and card draw that sort of thing like what blue black is known to do yeah the other thing i was thinking of is like it feels like in the last several formats we've had like good aggressive mechanics Mm -hmm. like really good aggressive mechanics yeah and we've still managed to find ways to combat those aggro decks and there's not really like a good aggressive mechanic that sticks out to me here so there's not like overpowered two and three drops that are going to be like letting you close out the game just riding those and removal and combat tricks i don't think or i think that's going to be a lot harder and there's there's life gain floating around again so i'm hopeful this is going to be like a super well-balanced format and that you're going to be able to do a lot of different strategies yeah for sure so we'll get to to dive in a little bit on magic online as they drop the sealed events on friday and then get to fully start drafting a week from tomorrow yeah and we'll be back with a report from those sealed games for sure Mm -hmm. with what cards have performed well and i think it's interesting that our top commons i think this is one of the more different uh runs of the most different Yeah. yeah Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I'm very curious about white. I'm very curious about green to see if I'm wrong about land war elves. And again, I'm really willing to be, be proven wrong there. Probably am, but we'll have to see. So that's what we got in store next week. Thanks everyone for, for hanging out for the crash course. Yeah. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. If you want to get in touch with me or Ben, we are in a variety of mediums, most commonly Twitch. You can check us out. Please come hang out in our chat, twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me, twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. We are both at those same handles on Twitter, at Lord Tupperware and at Mr. Metronome. And you can even at our podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any questions or feedback about the show, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. We also need some of you uh, that have won our draft sets to get in touch with us. Yes, that's right. Hook you up. So if you won the Rivals of Ixalan treasure hunt, get in touch with us so we can give you your prizes, prizes, prizes. 
Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.